Welcome to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and 90.7 FM KRDP. Later in the show, we'll learn about High Res Wood Company with Stephen Cheney, and we'll chat with Alana Yazi, creator of the lifestyle and food blog, FancyNavajo.com. But right now, host Lanasha Puati talks with Adelina Lucero, owner of Dancing Butterfly Naturals. I'm host Lanasha Puati. Adelina Lucero is the owner of Dancing Butterfly Naturals, small batch skincare and hair care products made using the locally sourced ingredients from Tauts Pueblo Mountains in northern New Mexico. Hello, Adelina. It's an honor to have you on our show today. Hi there. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. And before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey in creating Dancing Butterfly Naturals? And can you also tell us where you're from and about your indigenous heritage? Sure. Let me say hello in Antigua. Um, I just want to greet you in my language. Um, and I say, how, how are you doing? I am from Taos Pueblo, New Mexico. I'm also Yaqui and Chicana. I come from um, mostly Taos Pueblo is, is where I'm connected and, and um, where I'm enrolled and involved <laughs> in my community. I am a traditional farmer as well as a seed saver and um, a community food systems advocate and a food sovereignty worker. In addition to the work I do through Dancing Butterfly Naturals, um, I initially started out as a traditional farmer. How did you get interested in skin care, hair care, and medicines? Well, the medicines were more of a, a necessity. My son, at one point when he was in his traditional time, had a really, really bad infection on his gums. And we weren't allowed to use traditional medicines, um, Western medicines outside of, you know, our our own medicines at home. And um, I didn't know what to do, really. And my brother, <laughs> he's really funny. We were walking along and he was um, peeling a, a red willow as we were talking. And at one point he gave it to my, my son and he told him to chew on it and he told him to put it up in that area you know, between his, his lip and his, his gums, and to keep it there. I asked him why he did that, and he told me, well, you know, the red willow has has, has properties like, you know, aspirin. It's good for pain, and it's going to take down that swelling. And I realized at that point that I really needed to have a, a better understanding of the plants that were around me and, um, you know, how to use them to benefit my, my family, you know, to take care of my family the other part of it was just really staying in this way of life using yucca, um, using yucca root uh, for shampoo and to wash our bodies, um, using different different herbs and, and plants that were around us. I realized how beautiful they were, how, how amazing they made me feel, how, how great they made my skin feel. They didn't have chemicals in them. There was nothing about them that was bad for you. And um, I began making products out of those things, um, oils, um, in order to put in products like soaps and the shampoo, the yucca shampoo was the second thing I ever made. I made a, a goat's milk soap first, and that was in a, in a different place, just doing an activity with youth at the Native American Community Academy um, in Albuquerque. Um, it was a project that I did, and 
I, I remembered how to do that process. And so I started making things like that. And my daughter wanted to do face masks and, you know, fun stuff. So really it was um, the love for my family and everything that was around me, all these beautiful plant relatives and also having fun and spending time with my daughter, you know, and making some of the um, sugar scrubs and, and um, body products. So that's, that's where it came from. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And speaking about your product, and um, I know you had mentioned that you, some of the ingredients you work with is yucca. Is there a specific ingredient that is your favorite to work with? Boy, I love I love oils. You know, oils are so fun um, making the oils and using them. So I would say oils are my favorite um, to work with and, and making the oils. So I make various ones. I make um, oils from fresh flowers as well as dried flowers and other herbs and plants. So I think with the with the yucca, it's a powder and that's a really long process. It's It takes several, almost like a month and a half to make the yucca, to go up and harvest it and, you know, kind of smash it up and and um, make it into this big giant thing and drying it out um, for a couple of weeks in the sun, mashing it again and um, waiting for it to dry a little bit more and then sifting that out and leaving that to dry a couple of days longer. So it's it's quite a process to use that. Um, a lot of the other plants that I use are, are really fun to work with as well. Um, um, so actually, I, I don't know that I have a favorite per se. Now that I'm talking about it, I, I think I really just enjoy learning more about the plant and how, how, you know, the different ways that I can use it and that it'll benefit, you know, myself and, and, and my customers. Oh, definitely. And where do you source the ingredients? The majority of the, the plants are coming from here, from from either our Pueblo Mountains or surrounding region. Um, for instance, my lemongrass, um, I get from, I have a friend in Alamosa, Colorado, who, who she grows her own, you know, medicines and plants. And so I, I purchase or trade with her. Usually it's trade <laughs> between her and I. And um, so I'll make the oil from that. The lavender comes from the lavender, lavender farm in Albuquerque, which is not very far from Taos. So it's in these regions. The, the rest of the, the plants I try to get myself, if there's something like shea butter or mango butter that I need, um, I try to get those from reputable sources. The shea butter comes from Africa. Um, it's a fair trade women's network where I purchase that. So I know the money is going directly to the women and um, it's helping them in their community. How do you come up with the recipes for your products? It it, it kind of depends. Um, we just we just made a really cool um, lip sugar scrub called Snaggin Lips. Eh? <laughs> that one's really fun. Um, I had a lot of uh, you know young women, younger women, teenagers asking us if we had a, a sugar lip scrub, and you know my assistant and I were kind of like, what? You know, we hadn't thought of that, and so. I googled some recipes and they were they were a little funky, you know. There were there was a lot of them that were like lip plumpers, so they were asking for a ton of um ingredients that I didn't know and so I thought, well, you know, I can make this and so yeah, I, I figured all these beautiful butters are good for your lips like cocoa butter, shea butter, coconut oil. Um I got a really, really fine um sugar 
um, organic sugar that I use. And then we had just completed making this beautiful um, batch of um, wild rosehip seed oil. And that is extremely good for your lips, a lot of vitamin C. So I decided to use some of that. And then we wanted flavor because it's going to go on your lips, you know. So we chose a passion fruit um, flavoring. And so that's what we use in it. And it, it tastes beautiful and it works really well. So some of my recipes, I will Google, you know, I'll, you know, have, I have a lot of books, herbal books and things like that. And I'll look at them and basically I indigenize them. I look at, you know, what's in them. And I, you know, if I understand the formulation, then I'm going to swap out different ingredients until I find something in a batch that I really like. And then I'll keep that formula. Um, But a lot of it, I create myself like the yucca shampoo, for instance, it's just from my mind, the sugar scrubs come from me. Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing that. I definitely need some snag lips. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Adelina, do you plant or forage and process the materials? I do. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a farmer. So every year I try to get out there and farm. The last two years were rough, so we weren't able to get out there. But I'm out there again this year. Um, I grow the blue corn that is in my a blue corn atole mask. Um, so I grow the blue corn. I dry it. I process it into a really fine powder and a flower, and that's what I use. Um, I'm out there foraging. Um, I collect different different ingredients, different plants. This year was a little rough. There's a lot of fires up here in um, in our area, in our mountains, beyond you know our Pueblo. And so a lot of the forest roads and things like that were closed. So, and it was windy. It's been so windy. So I really missed the opportunity to collect the spring wildflowers um, that I normally will get every year. And so it's it's changing a little bit on that dynamic. But um, for instance, I just saw milkweed. Our milkweed is already starting to bloom. So I'll be out there harvesting milkweed. I will use it for various things. I love to um, cook with milkweed. Um, I use the rest of the, the, the plant in tinctures. And this year I'll try to use some of the fresh buds to make a um, simple syrup. How does your indigenous background influence your creations? It's huge. It's a huge consideration um, because I see a lot of natural companies out there and not to knock them at all. I think a lot of them have beautiful products and, but they're a lot of them I see are not working with the plant. They're not respecting the plant. And as an indigenous woman, you know, I've always been taught to ask permission before you know, you choose a plant before we hunt, you know, we pray and we ask for that life of that, that animal, you know, and we give thanks, you know, in different ways. And we're very appreciative of what we have. Therefore, we're very sustainable in our methods. And we only take what we need, you know, we make sure that um, I just did a video and, and shared some images um, on, on my social media regarding, you know, harvesting Kota tea, which is the Indian tea, Navajo tea, green thread or Hopi tea, right? So harvesting that, how do you harvest it? You don't want to just go pull the whole plant out because nothing's going to grow anymore. You want to make sure you're harvesting at a time where, you know, all the pollinators have had their opportunity to get what they need from that plant, right? It's serving a huger, a larger purpose. And um, so once you've harvested that, you know, you're making sure you're being reciprocal and giving back. So, you know, you take that plant and make sure those seeds are falling around. 
you know, things like that. It's just, it's, it's huge. So my, 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 um, Taos wildflower soap, for instance, you know, I didn't get any flowers this year, so I'm not going to have any batches next year of this. I only have the oil I have now. I won't have any next year. So that's, that's something I think about, you know, I'm not going to be able to sell that. It just won't be available. A larger consideration is, is like with my blue corner tole mask. Um, for the very first time, you know, I put something out there. I sent it to a chemist. I worked with a chemist and we pH balanced it, got it lab tested. This thing is solid and it's ready, you know, for a thousand units. And I'm going to be going into manufacturing here soon. Some of the things I'm running into right now is I wanted this particular product to be the majority of ingredients are from here, from this region, from Taos Pueblo mostly. And now I'm running into the fact that, okay, we're looking at a thousand units. Are you going to have enough corn? Are you going to have enough um, juniper ash? You know, we can source these things for you somewhere else is what I'm being told. And I'm like, that's not what I want. So now I'm having to really consider um, where I'm at, the region I'm at, and do I want to put this product out there in that way? So there's there's a lot of considerations there. And I really love that idea. You really are going into um, diving deep into your products and making sure it is equivalent to what you want and also producing it yourself. Yes, thank you. It's... um. It used to weigh heavily on me, which is one of the reasons I didn't try to do this way back then, or or even when the thought came up, it would kind of terrify me (laughs) in some ways. But now I understand, you know, as a business, um, I have to make some of these considerations if I want to put myself out there and put my products out there. And one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of is the fact that I am thinking in this way and I am using this. Um, knowledge, you know, to benefit others, but also to utilize what we have around us. And it's not a bad thing if, if you know, you're not being unsustainable about it. <laughs> it's the only word I can think of, but really praying and, and, and a larger vision and a larger goal is also to um, start working with youth. Um, my, my My assistant is also my niece, my relative, and um, she's learned a lot from me, and we're we're both learning together. We go out there, we harvest, we do a lot of these events, and we come in contact with other beautiful plant people, ethnobotanists, and and creative um, people working with plant medicines. And um, you know, we want to work with youth. We want to work with people in our community and learn more from them. Not only teach, but learn more, as well as teach the youth how to identify plants. We work with the the some of the girls groups at the um, Santa Fe Indian School. Um, we've done some projects with um, IAI. And so we're we're trying to get out there and do a lot more education because I think it's really important that even if people understand the way I make something, I'm not afraid that people are going to go steal my recipe and ruin my business. I think it's more about sharing that knowledge because that's who I am as an Indigenous person, as an Indigenous woman. It is my job to share the knowledge that I have, you know, with, with youth, especially other young, you know, women in my community and, 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 and around me, you know, as an auntie, as a mom, as a grandma. Oh, definitely. And finally, where can our listeners go to find out more about Dancing Butterfly Naturals and how can they contact you? 
Um, yeah, there's, we are on social media. So, um, at Dancing Butterfly Naturals on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Um, our website is www.dancingbutterflynaturals.com. Um, we also have a TikTok, um, which is really cool because that's loaded with a lot of the videos um, regarding how we're making our oils, collecting our, our plants and, um, you know, other fun stuff that we're doing. Well, I would like to thank you, Adelina, for taking time out to talk to us today. And I'll definitely check out your social media to see how you're making the products as well. And thank you for sharing your product with us. Outstanding. Thank you so much um, for giving me the opportunity and you know I love what you guys are doing I got the opportunity to check you out on on Instagram and on your social media the website as well um you all are doing great things um and and creating awareness and bringing people out there um that other people can connect with so thank you for for being that medium there as well coming up we'll learn about the high res wood company with Stephen Cheney Support for 90.7 FM KRDP comes in part from Native Health, with two locations in Phoenix, 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C, and at 2423 West Dunlap Avenue. Native Health is also located in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue, near the corner of Southern and Extension Roads. Native Health provides primary medical, dental, behavioral health, WIC, and wellness services for the urban Native American community. For more information, call 602-279-5262 or visit our webpage at nativehealthphoenix.org. Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and KRDP 90.7 FM. I'm host Lanasha Puwadi. Stephen Cheney is the founder of High Res Wood Company. Hello, Stephen. It's an honor to have you on our show today. Hello. Yes. Thank you all. It's, it's, uh, it's really great to be joining you all today. And I'm excited just to share a little bit about myself and to just have a conversation with you all and uh, yeah, so thank you. Oh yes, definitely. And before we get started, can you tell us about yourself and your journey as an artist? Can you tell us where you're from and also about your indigenous heritage? Yeah, absolutely. I am Lakota from the Chasho Yate in uh, really central South Dakota. Uh, grew up there. I lived there for most of my life. Today, I'm calling you all from the Weot territories of Northern California. Uh, it's a really beautiful place on the Northern California coast, um, surrounded by so much beauty, uh, redwoods, you know, beautiful trees, and like all different types of native peoples in this area. And really, I mentioned those things as those things are really those things really tell you about who I am and my journey because uh, I would say that my journey has been heavily influenced by the land, you know, by the places that I've been and and live. 
Oh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And how did you get interested in woodworking? I worked as a firefighter for a long time, like almost six years. And in that time, I just had so much opportunity to, to go to many of our homelands. You know, I've been down to Arizona to visit all of the, the different relatives' lands down there and in New Mexico. And um, it's really like in that journey of, of fire and just really becoming more developing my relationship with like the land, with trees, with like caring for the land, with like all of those types of things is that I, I, I come to, to woodworking, you know, I, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a self-taught woodworker, <laughs> you know, I haven't had a single day of class, uh, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, I found a way and, and it was really through being able to visit those lands, those places, you know, to see how amazing, like, our homelands are and really like have a little bit of, of say or accountability in caring for them. Oh, wow, that is amazing, especially being a self-taught woodworker. I bet it was a mini trial and errors getting yourself to develop the skills that you have today. Yeah, yeah, it is, you know. Um, I, I think a lot of people, maybe a lot of our, our relatives uh, across across our communities, we we like see something and, you know, we don't have the access of, you know, formal education in any way, uh, often outside of like that really formal education of family teaching, you know, like a craft of beadwork and all of those things. And I think a lot of it comes from, for me, I can say is like being kind of courageous and trying and wanting to try something new, you know, and in this instance, it was like, I, I had no idea what um, woodworking even was, you know, it was more like, I see these like burning trees and, or in managing the land in, in like prescribed fire and all of those kind of things. It's like, I could see the beauty that's there and I wanted to work with it more, you know, and I had no idea. And over the course of like six years or so plus, of, of really like developing that that relationship i've i've grown to understand it just a little bit more you know and i think that's what's beautiful about what i do is it's it's all about patience and and understanding and being willing to sit and learn and uh really know this living thing that i'm working with oh wow that is awesome and what type of wood is your favorite to work with yeah, I, I love this question because it, I would say it changes for me or there are like different, different aspects of different woods that make it a favorite. Uh, being in the North Coast here in these, in the Weout lands and, you know, these coastal, coastal peoples, one of my favorite woods of this region is actually Madrone. And uh, there, there's like cousins of Madrone right down, down where you guys are. They have like the Manzanita, um, they call it. There's also Manzanita up there, but they're, they're very similar, except that the Madrone is so massive here. Like along the coast, it really thrives from, 
you know, just north in the in the Bay Area of California, all the way up the Pacific Coast into like British Columbia, the Madrone lives and thrives in that area. And I love the Madrone because, A, it's just such a striking tree. When you see it uh, in a forest, you'll see these like reds and greens. Like the green is a very bright, vibrant, almost lime green. And that green is the exposed bark. And those deep, dark reds are that bark that's like kind of peeling off and making space for the, the new growth, you know. And the, the leaves and the, the fruit are, are a bright red. And the way that the madrone grows in this forest is it's underneath, you know, the canopy, the thick canopy of the redwoods. And so it finds a way to grow up into that canopy while supporting itself. And because it has to grow towards the light, it will grow in like these kind of like crazy uh, curvy patterns, you know, but it's able to support itself uh, in that. And, uh, and because of that, it creates such beautiful furniture, that, that like tight grain, and it's a real nice hardwood. And also like the second reason that I, I often think about like why it's my favorite <laughs> here is that it's the best firewood, you know? <laughs> it's like you throw a block of Madrone in your wood stove and it'll, it'll burn all night, you know, nice and clean and just like, all of those kind of aspects of it, I think, are, are one of my favorites. Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing that. That is a very interesting fact that I didn't know about um, that type of wood, Madrone. But speaking of wood, what is your process in working with wood? Do you order it or do you find it, dry it, and cut it? It's it's a little bit of everything. There's a lot of uh, wood that I've harvested myself you know, over the years starting back into those those fire days that I was telling you about I also have like a lot of relatives you know just throughout throughout uh our communities throughout Indian country throughout this this whole land here that will like come to me and be and say hey you know we we have to take down this tree is there something you would like to do with it or hey uh, I, I had to cut this tree down would you like some wood from it you know it's like it's so it's so fascinating and amazing that you know I I can have this connection with many different lands and peoples in that way and that's really the most important thing when it comes to my process of selecting wood is that I need to I need to know where it comes from you know and and I'm I don't use uh, <clears throat> what they call exotic woods and exotic woods are you know woods that are coming from uh, other lands, really. So like the jungle in the south, you know, uh, in Africa, a lot of people are really like, they they love these woods uh, for whatever reason. But I think like the main reason that I would, I choose not to is because probably most likely they are coming from places where they're removing the homelands of another people. So it's really important to me in this process that if I have wood, I know exactly where it comes from and I know how it was cut down, you know? And so if I can't do that myself, I'll, that will be a main, a main consideration. And so uh, luckily, locally, with the places where I do buy wood, is, is, because like I said, I live in such a abundant area for this, 
is that they they know that's what I want, and so that's what they bring me, you know. Or I'll connect with people who cut it themselves, and uh, we re- we really have this this appreciation and respect for it. So when it comes to uh, drawing something, uh, for about every inch of wood, say like you you slab it out like it's a big slab of bacon or something, you know, like cut that way. For every inch of wood in that slab, it's going to take about one year of drying time. And so a lot of people are, are not familiar with that right away. It's like, wow, this really takes time. <laughs> so it's like there are those, some of those pieces that I cut way back when are just now ready to use. And so it's, it's also it's like a, a game of uh, or really like a process of patience. And so you can get kiln dried wood from these places and that significantly cuts down the time and all of that, but it's really multiple, multiple ways of engaging with it. All that being said is I need to know that the process was done right. You know, I need to know that from the beginning, this tree was, had, had a prayer into it and respect going into it. Oh, yes, definitely. And I didn't realize that it was really a long process, as you mentioned, especially drying. Drying it it takes a year. And I guess that is really the highlight of what you mentioned is patience. You really do need patience in woodworking. Um, But Stephen, can you tell us about some of your projects? I noticed on your Instagram, you did have a table. And uh, I noticed in all of your tables, you kind of have like a signature touch of carving design on the top of your tables can you tell tell us more about it all of my pieces you know whether they they are coming like from a dream of my myself you know like a a design that I have in mind or in working with uh, you know a people or a family or a native organization or whomever I, I want to I want to create a space where people can feel home and a, a table, for example, is is totally a place that I think is is really a significant part of a home. You know, when you think about all the the memories that are are shared around there, all the food that is eaten, all of those kind of things, it's like I need I want to create something that makes people and allows people to be to feel at home. So, and also to be seen, you know, and to be felt. You know, this wood is alive. And to me, it, it is really sacred. You know, it's a, it, it has so much power, just like many of the things in our, in our communities that we, we create, like a sweat lodge or any of the, you know, those sort of uh, special elements of who we are. To me, the table, the, the woodworking, it holds some of that power. And so in creating some of the things that I've done, like, for example, for the, the Redding Rancheria, I created a tribal courtroom table, a family court table that is 10 feet in diameter. It's a huge circle and it's made of three different sections. And around those sections, each uh, on each section in the front, there is a symbol of the three different peoples that make up their nation. And then on the top of it, uh, you have this river that is carved in and connects all of them. And so it, it's a it's a way that in the courtroom, you know, there's no longer any hierarchy in there and there's complete e- equality around in this decision making and people I wanted people to feel like human, you know, and not like less than in any way. 
And I wanted to create this opportunity through the design to make that. Another amazing project I feel so honored to have been able to bring forward was this table that's in uh, the Washington, Washington DC area. And it's an eight foot round table as well. And I carved in a Lakota calendar almost. Uh, this is what I would say, it, it is a calendar, you know, and there are um, little triangles on there that represent days and nights. And so I, uh, I carved in 405 of those uh, all the way around the table. And it represents like one year, you know, to, to uh, my family in that way. And uh, there's just so much life that I'm able to bring into these projects like that. And uh, I love to do it in a, in a way that is like honoring the traditional designs, our, our imagery, you know, all of these things are our essence and then create it in a table that we utilize today, you know? So kind of like bridge the gap of like being people in the past with creating this like modern furniture with everything all in one. Oh yes, that's amazing. And also a table is like the main um, item in anybody's home or office space is the main area that people like to gather as well. So your work really does touch everybody, especially the way you personalize all of them. But Stephen, do you have a favorite piece that you have created? That's that's probably that piece that I just mentioned is up there. It's so hard, honestly, <laughs> to pick one because each of them I love so much. It's like watching a little creation come to life that you helped, but it kind of like takes on its its own sort of style and, and energy. Some of my favorite pieces that I've created are pieces that uh, create opportunity for people to like connect with one another. And so I had these two redwood slabs, old growth redwood that came to me in a very special way. And I wanted to do something like to honor that, that sacredness of it. They were each 12 foot long and about like a little over three foot wide. And so I created four different tables out of those. And I gave all four away to like different purposes. One of those was like supporting some of the relatives in the Karuk Nation or some elders. The Slater fire had just impacted them. And so I, I created this table and did a fundraiser for them. You know, I, I used one to um, honor like and say thank you to the people that where my wood shop is at. You know, one for, for an auntie that just like they gave their table away for same thing actually is like somebody who uh, lost their home in a fire. So it's like those pieces. And then I can go into each of those spaces where those tables are, or I see them and I can see how they're all connected. And so for that reason, incorporating that kind of like connection is maybe why those pieces would be like my favorite, you know, because it's just building on something and letting people know that even the piece that they have in their home, it's part of a larger thing. Oh, wow. That is amazing. And how can someone learn more about your work and how can they contact you? Uh, people can visit my website, which is highreswood.com. And it's H-I-G-H-R-E-Z-W-O-O-D.com. And then you can also check me out on Instagram. Oh, wow, that is awesome. Well, I would like to thank you, Stephen, for taking time out to tell us more about your high-res wood company. 
Yeah, thank you guys. Up next, Lanasha chats with Alana Yazi. Support for 90.7 FM KRDP comes in part from Native Health, with two locations in Phoenix, 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C, and at 2423 West Dunlap Avenue. Native Health is also located in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue, near the corner of Southern and Extension Roads. COVID vaccinations, boosters, and testings are available at all locations for anyone over the age of 5. For more information, call 602-279-5262 or visit our webpage, nativehealthphoenix.org. Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and KRDP 90.7 FM. I'm host Lanasha Puati. Alana Yazi is the creator of The Fancy Navajo, a lifestyle and food blog. Hi, Alana. It's an honor to have you on our show today. Hi, Lanasha. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey as a chef, blogger, and influencer? Can you also tell us where you're from and about your indigenous heritage? Yeah, of course. Yate everyone. She'e Alana Yazi Yenishia. Tutoni Nishlin, Tatnisani Bajachin, Tabaha Dashiche, Kiani Dashinale. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Alana Yazi. I am originally from Fruitland, New Mexico, but I currently uh, live here in Phoenix, Arizona. I am the Ness Navajo, and I am the creator and founder of the FancyNavajo.com, which is a lifestyle and food blog uh, that I started in 2014 as a way to share some of my food and fashion shares, as well as recipes. Uh, but throughout the years, uh, I've become known for uh, my blue corn recipes. Oh, that is right, your blue corn recipes, and they are always delicious. I especially love your blue corn cupcakes. Yeah, that, that's actually a very uh, favorite recipe on my blog. It, it gets it gets made and viewed so many times on my website. I'm just, I, I can't believe that it's blown up to what it is today. <laughs> and can you tell us about some of your projects you've been working on? Uh, so right now I am taking time to develop more recipes. So in 2021, I took a little bit of a break. Um, so I'm really trying to get back in the kitchen and experiment with uh, some of the recipes that I kind of put on the back burner. Um, of course, incorporating more of those corn recipes and introducing like white corn and yellow corn, as well as the crowd favorite of blue corn. Um, I'm also uh, working on creating more cooking courses. A lot of people are interested in indigenous cooking. And so I'm looking at ways to starting my own cooking classes as well, like long term uh, creating a cookbook. Oh, that all sounds so amazing. And speaking of your recipes, how does your indigenous background influence your cooking and also your fashion inspiration, blogging, and also just being an influencer? 
my heritage definitely plays a big part in everything that I do with the fancy Navajo. Um, it's just it's just really from from where I come from and who I am as being a Ganesh Navajo woman. But uh, what I like to share is through a modern modern lens. So naturally, you know, I'm a person who loves to try new things and I like to think outside of the box. And I want to share like the fancier side of being Navajo and indigenous. So a lot of the things I create have a very bright and cheery and classic look to them. And, you know, my goal is always to inspire others to embrace their culture, no matter where they live, uh, but not in a stereotypical way that uh, we may be used to seeing, especially uh, being indigenous and Navajo. Oh, definitely. And how do you want people to feel while they're looking at your social media or trying out your recipes? I always want them to feel happy and excited by everything that I create on the Fancy Navajo. Uh, But definitely, I want them to feel inspired. I want them to feel like they're in a place to where they can be who they are and not not be afraid to try new things. And, you know, like I said, kind of think outside of the box of what it means to be Indigenous or Navajo, like taking those risks and trying out something new and kind of just experimenting with food and fashion and, you know, just having fun and not being afraid of making mistakes or anything. And, you know, I want them to feel in a, in a safe and happy environment where they can be themselves. And can you share with us um, how your cooking has evolved from when you started? Like, do you plan on um, visiting like other tribal recipes as well? Maybe something different than Navajo recipes? Uh, Yeah. So throughout this whole experience, I think I've come to realize I'm more of a baker than an actual cook. Um, I think it's just a personal thing. Like I enjoy baking than I do just like cooking uh, something regular, uh, but through through the connections I've made uh, from the Fancy Navajo, it opened my eyes to other Indigenous creators and businesses, um, like farmers who have ingredients from their own uh, tribes, and so I looking to incorporate more of those ingredients outside of the, the Southwest background that I come from. And it's been really fun learning about different ingredients. And, you know, I want to share that with the people who follow me on uh, the fancynapo.com. Um, but one of my favorites so far has to be uh, maple sugar. Uh, it's called, it's from the company called Zibi Moin Drain. I think I said that right. I don't think I said that right. Um, but I really like the, the maple sugar and using that in my baked goods. Alana, can you share some of your favorite recipes? Uh, all of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, all of them are my favorite recipes. I make them all the time, but I think my all-time favorite uh, recipe has to be a fancy green chili pork. I didn't realize how often I make this, but it's definitely one of those things that I make if you're ever staying with me in my home. I'll make you green chili pork. Uh, with some tortillas, but it's just a simple recipe that incorporates uh, green chili, which is, you know, pretty popular in the Southwest. 
and it's a, a slow cooker recipe, so it doesn't require very much time to make it. You can just kind of put it on uh, overnight and then wake up to a delicious breakfast, or you can have it for dinner and lunch. Um, that's probably my all-time favorite recipe. And of course, the blue corn recipes are still my favorite. Uh, the one I just came out with most recently was a recipe for fancy blue corn scones. And me and my husband, we, we really enjoy we really enjoy having scones and adding the blue corn uh, scone to our our our, our regular uh, menu has been a nice change. Oh yeah, and uh, speaking speaking about your recipes, I can't wait to see those recipes come to come alive. Like you mentioned, how you are planning on doing uh, cooking demos as well. So I'm a visual person, so I would love to see your videos. I know we worked with you a couple times, especially on the blue corn scones, and you did a fantastic job. But I just love how the video kind of walks you through all the ingredients, so that way you can get your final product. Yeah, those videos are so fun to make. Uh, one of the things that I strive for with the Fancy Navajo is uh, visually creating a space that is bright, cheery, and colorful. And like I said, kind of breaking those stereotypical uh, images or views of being Native American and kind of modernizing them a little bit. Like I'm a big lover of of like Williams and Sonoma and Bon Appetit. So it's just really fun to try to recreate uh, videos that kind of take on like the fancy cooking side and bringing a more indigenous uh, flair to it. And do you plan on bringing out any product of your own? Because I know you experiment with different products and you probably have come up with specific ingredients that work well with a lot of your recipes. Are you planning on coming out with any products that we could purchase for um, to follow along to your recipes? So one of the things I, I am working on uh, with the cooking courses is kind of having a sort of uh, like a meal or recipe kit. So that way people have all the ingredients they need to follow along uh, with my cooking or baking demonstrations. Because a lot of the, a lot of times the ingredients I'm using, they're very specific to where we are in the Southwest. And a lot of times those ingredients are hard to come by, um, like blue corn or juniper ash. Um, so kind of just developing a little mixes that people can purchase and buy to um, create those recipes. Oh, that is awesome. And do you have a timeline on when you plan on announcing your videos and publicizing it to everybody to watch? Uh, hopefully by the year end, definitely toward like the fall and winter, because I feel like that's when we really spend a lot of time in the kitchen, uh, baking and making things with our families. You know, a lot of times, depending on where you live in the country, you know, we're kind of stuck inside, obviously not here in Phoenix, but um, just just when we're kind of in that baking mood in the fall and winter. Oh, yes, definitely. And what are things you most enjoy about cooking, fashion, or writing, or any, are there any challenges? Uh, what I enjoy most is just experimenting. I really love just coming up with the most bizarre combinations of ways to use things. 
And, you know, a lot of times they work and sometimes they don't. And it's just really interesting to see what could or couldn't happen. (laughs) And I just kind of like spending that time in the kitchen to come up with fun, fun recipes, new ways to use ingredients, because um, a lot of times when it comes to um, Navajo cooking or indigenous cooking, we kind of grew up with... uh, knowledge of like from our family members and like they're all like old recipes but uh i think it's important to think beyond that of you know what new recipes can we create now in the future to evolve uh indigenous and native cooking today so that's what i like to do with not only cooking but through fashion um and writing uh i do a little bit of writing through my blog but i think Uh, What I'm more passionate about is the photography of it all, capturing all of that in a picture that entices people to want to try uh, whatever new experiment or idea I'm trying to present to the world. And finally, where can our listeners go to find out more about the Fancy Navajo and how can they contact you? So uh, if anyone wants to uh, follow along with me in my journey, uh, you can check out my website, thefancynavajo.com, or you can follow me on social media at The Fancy Navajo on Instagram and at The Fancy Navajo blog on Facebook. I am also on YouTube where I do share uh, a few cooking videos, and it's just uh, The Fancy Navajo. I would like to thank you, Alana, for taking time out to talk to us today to tell us about your journey on how you started the Fancy Navajo and where it's going now. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and 90.7 FM KRDP. Our executive producer is Susan Levy, sound engineer is Javier Quiroga, and our host is Lanasha Puadi. We hope you will tune in again next week. If you have any questions, please reach us at nativetalkaz at listen2krdp.com.